0: this morning for a speaker, I was a guest speaker, but just speaker. And so um, I'm going to have Kristen come forward in just a minute and give an introduction. But I just want to say, you know, when, when Kristen um, came to me and said, hey, um, I have a friend um, and their family who's raised to support to, to go to Ethiopia and um, do some mission work and have been on this side doing mission work, casting vision and, and training and encourage people to, get, to give their lives to missions. I'm like, absolutely, you know, any time we can talk about missions. You know, that's my heart. I love to talk about missions. And so uh, I think we're excited. But it also goes along with what we've been talking about a lot of times in terms of stepping out of the boat because Karen and I have talked about this. You know, when we went to the mission field, we, we, were, we were young and we were like singles. And even though we were married, we, we had no kids, we really had no bills. It was just easy to pick up and go. But we think about it now, hey, it would be so difficult to pick up and go just because we've got four kids, we're rooted in community, those things like that. But you guys are doing it, um, and, and praise God. <laughs> praise God. And I'm not saying that in, in a bad way, but wow, it's, it's stretching to me, and, and I'll just have to get before the Lord over the next week or two and be like, Lord, I guess... I I can do that if you call that. And so there's a challenge there for all of us as well in terms of stepping on the boat. And sometimes we think it's impossible, but we see others who who do it, and and we know if God's grace is on it, if he's calling us to do it. And so you want to come and say something, Kristen?
1: Well, I'm a little nervous because I didn't know I was going to be introducing you, Richard. (laughs) And I apologize if I don't give you the accolades that you deserve. I don't have anything scripted. I knew you would say that. He's one of the most humble guys that I know, um, co laborer in the gospel and friend, and I'm just so honored to have you here and your family, and we met, I met Richard, was it like 10 years ago? I think it was about 10 years ago when I started exploring um, the call to missions, and we met at Global Leadership Training Center in Winston-Salem, and then I got connected with the Mission Society through that, where Richard was the director there of missions, missions director. Um, And so it's just kind of been amazing. Um, It's really hard to come up with words, honestly, just to kind of watch your journey and see what God is doing with you. Um, Oh, something personal. I was trying to think of something personal. And the thing that I remembered, I was wondering if you remembered this, was when you helped me set up my Facebook account. (laughs) And so I say that to say, Richard is the one that got me onto social media. <laughs> really? We were in Dr. Bailey's basement, and you showed me how to, like, set up my account. And it, it just kind of ties into who Richard is as a person because he is a connector. He loves to – he has a gift and anointing to network and connect people in the body of Christ and just all over the world, really. So he's loved by so many, and – um so I thank you for that connection <laughs> with the world and with you and your beautiful wife and family, and we're just so blessed to have you both here, and I know that you all will be blessed to hear from them. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Kristen. Yeah, this is my dear sister. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how, I, I really don't like that I can't know everybody personally. That's I'm an ESFJ on the Myers-Briggs. Anybody do Myers-Briggs? <laughs> So, like, I want to know everybody. When I land at the Atlanta airport, busiest airport in the world, I feel very frustrated that I'm walking past all these people that I'm not like, hey, Bob, hey, John, how you doing, man? You know, and so I'm, yeah, and so, but it feels like every relationship has this special connection, and so I have that with my sister here, and Shadi as well, who came out uh, to, to be with us. Um, uh, Susa Day. you guys know that? Susa Day, Cambodian, yeah. greeting. Or I can say sabaho Right? We got the Arabic greeting. We can say, Annyeonghaseyo. Uh, no? Uh, that's Korean. What about Wasu uh, Zotia? That's Luganda. Bonjour. Okay, bonjour. We can say, Jambo. Jambo. Habari Asibui. Okay, see? Okay. We're working it, we're working it. We can say, um, I'm sure my tones are off somewhere. Um, and I think, uh, I think that means thank you in Albanian. I, I I forgot how to say hello. That's thank you, right? How do you say hello? Okay, I forgot that one. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, say again. Hi, y'all. And uh, and I will say um, I will say and I'm gonna let you because um, we're planning to move to Ethiopia. But um, but I love to greet people in different languages just because um, it kind of takes some of the, the 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 foreignness, no pun intended, out of encountering people because we all speak different languages and we can hear those languages and maybe pronounce them. Then maybe it feels a little closer. Uh, people feel normal to us, you know, as opposed to like way over there. Does that make any sense? Um, So how about I teach you one of them? Um, Let's see. I have another one. Okay, so we can learn when uh, Bahasa, they speak in one of the places in Indonesia, you can say, Salamat pagi. Salamat pagi. That's good morning. Look at that. You guys are well on your way. And this is an international church, so I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, I do want to thank Pastor Stephen for having me here. I don't take it lightly that you would have a stranger to actually stand up here because I, um, as a New Testament student at Oral Roberts University, um, we were the ones that were like super um, critical of people that would stand up and preach because they would like use the wrong Greek word or the wrong Hebrew word, or they just like would totally bomb the message and preach heresy. And, um, and I'm like, wow, like that's an honor that you would like trust me to not preach heresy. <laughs> And to mislead your people, so, or God's people, um, I'm going to have my little phone up here to help me to stay on track, because I do like rabbit trails. Um, but one of the stories, and this is my wife, Amanda, who you met. We've been married almost uh, 12 years, November the 12th, and uh, quick story, the Lord... Um, really blessed me because um, I was dating uh, who was my best friend at the time and I told her I wanted to be a missionary and she said, I have no desire to be a missionary and I lost all affection for her. I just, I mean, I completely lost every ounce of interest in her and um, I remember telling my father, I didn't know if I'd ever marry an African-American woman because there were very few involved in missions Um, and the Lord blessed me with the best of both worlds. So I have a, her father's white her mother's black and so, I mean, you can't get better than that and, um, But the Lord has uh, called us and our four kids to to move to Ethiopia by the end of the year, and uh, we're really excited about that. It's a new experience for us, and it's something that, um, I mean, we've never done before. We've traveled individually as, as, uh, you know, husband and wife. We've traveled individually as singles, and now we get to take our kids to another part of the world, and I wanted to share with you guys today the story that kind of Uh, I mean, I've, I've been a mobilizer for the past, I don't know, 18 years or so. My job has been to help people to, to discern their sense of calling and then to help them to find the practical steps to get to the field. So I've been doing that. Um, like Kristen said, I'm a networker. I love, I love to know everybody so I can connect somebody with a job or an opportunity or a friend. And, uh, and, and some people like that. And some people say, I'm an introvert, please don't introduce me to anybody else. I can't take it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, but um, one, one of the stories that, uh, that I just wanted to share with you guys is just how the Lord called us in the missions, because I've been, I've been helping other people to, to live out that dream, but always wondering if the Lord was going to call us. We had that desire originally, um, but it wasn't until um, about three or four years ago, I was at an InterVarsity retreat. You guys know InterVarsity, one of the largest campus ministries in the U.S., and I was invited to be a speaker for their missions group, and InterVarsity is big on inductive Bible study. And the passage that was chosen for us to study was Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And, uh, and when I heard this passage, it spoke to me so deeply. Um, and so if you'd join me, I'd love to, to read that for you. I don't know if it's going to be up there. Uh, I'm reading from like the NASB uh, or whatever version. I'll read it from here, NIV. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Um, But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Amen. And so let's say a quick prayer. Father, I thank you so much uh, for the, the um, this woman, this woman who made this sacrificial gift to you. And uh, we're grateful that we get a chance to share in her story today, praying that it will encourage us and help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um now, when you think of famous people, you think of folks like maybe Mother Teresa, right? Michael Jordan, uh, maybe a general in the military, someone who had some some amazing defeats, uh, knocked out the bad guys or whatever. Uh, we think of uh, presidents, uh, but we don't we don't often think of people like this—people who have no name, who Jesus says at the end of the story, wherever you go in the world, what this woman has done will be told of her, um, and. I wonder if we can just look at this story to find out, what's the big deal? Why is this lady uh, lauded so highly by Jesus? What was it that she did that was so noteworthy? Um, So just to set the context of this passage, we're looking at the book of Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark is always moving the story quickly, immediately, 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 immediately. Things are just marching, like he just can't wait to get Jesus to the cross. Mark is moving, moving, moving. And he kind of slows down for a bit and tells this story um, and sets the scene as being two days before the Passover and the unleavened bread. You guys might remember, if you want to jot this down, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus 12 kind of tells what the Passover and unleavened bread were for. But that was basically where they celebrated the fact that God delivered them out of Israel with this one final uh, plague of killing the firstborn son or firstborn, uh, you know, firstborn period Um, uh, son, right? And, and animals, though, right? That's making sure. That's what, Sometimes I forget my stories. Unless you had painted uh, the blood of a lamb on top of your doorpost. And um, this holiday became a holiday and was celebrated year after year after year after year. And at this point in the story, it's been celebrated for at least 1,500 years. I mean, almost that long. So it's been celebrated a long time. So imagine how you feel about Christmas or Thanksgiving or some other holiday that's very special for you. Imagine the excitement, imagine the food, imagine the nostalgia of all the times you've done this before. In this particular context, we have people from all around the world there. The book of Acts tells us that there were people from many nations who were coming to celebrate. Um, and so this was a really special time of year. Um, but in the midst of this special time, there's a group of, pe- group of people that really don't like Jesus. They don't like him so much they want to kill him. And they don't like him because he's done stuff like heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. I mean, is that like bad? Did you want to kill somebody because they heal somebody on the Sabbath? Or he was saying things that they didn't think he should be saying because they didn't think he had the authority or the the pedigree to speak those things. Um, But yet Jesus continued to be who he knew he was called to be, but they were trying to kill him. Jesus is in a place called Bethany, which is just a short distance from uh, Jerusalem, and while he's there, he's at the home of Simon the leper. Now, we know that even though Simon is called Simon the leper, he's likely already healed of his leprosy, because nobody wants to eat dinner at the house of someone with leprosy. Would you pass your mashed potatoes, please? And they're like, (laughs) leper's hand is like, right, oh, no, I'm not, oh, no, man, you can have those potatoes. (laughs) Um, So this is likely Simon the leper who was leprous, but has been healed, and Mark is distinguishing this Simon from other Simons that we may have encountered before. So this is just Simon the leper in that context. And while they're reclining at the table, a woman comes in, doesn't have a name for her in this particular telling of the story, in other uh, places it does, but she comes in and she takes an an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. Now we know that alabaster is a type of soft stone, um, you can kind of carve in it and make ornaments, or other types of things, uh, and it was, you know, not necessarily valuable in and of itself, but the contents in this container were um, were nard, pure nard. Um, nard was a type of spice uh, that came from India. Now, we didn't have UPS and FedEx, where you could just, you know, overnight nard, you know. <laughs> they had to have some kind of trader to go and risk his life, risk uh, being beaten up by bandits, or being, uh, I don't know, knocked out by a storm, just to get this costly perfume. So this is a valuable thing that she has. And the Bible says that, that she takes this valuable stuff and breaks it and pours it over Jesus' head. Now, it says she breaks it. She doesn't unscrew a cap. She doesn't um, you know, do something that will allow her to uh, use this again. What she has done has said, "I have committed to this act, and I cannot use this perfume again." She broke it. You hear, you hear, the, you hear that word, "broke it"? Yeah, she broke it. Um, and while she's doing this, the people around are very upset with her. The word they use is "indignant." I mean, that's not just like, "Well, we don't like this. That's not cool." You know, they kind of feel like, "Well, that, that's inappropriate." They were indignant, meaning they were just—they were like hot. They were heated. What are you doing? Do you have any idea what you are doing? You are wasting something that's valuable. And if you had any sense, you would actually have sold the contents of this vial in order to have enough money to give to the poor, you silly woman. I mean, this is indignant. This is strong language. It's not just, you know, we don't like that. Um, The reason they were so upset is because the contents, the nard that was inside, According to the, the text here, was worth three hundred denarii. Now, it says also that a denarius—I um, don't know if it says it here. Um, no, it doesn't say it here. But we know that a denarius was worth a day's wages. So I looked online to see what the va- what the minimum wage in North Carolina is. Anybody know what that is? So I think it's seven twenty-five. Is it seven fifty now? It might have gone up. I don't know. Uh, seven twenty-five is the minimum wage in North Carolina. Let's just use that conservative number because this is a day's wages, okay? 725 8 hours a day times 300 days. Right? That's over $17,000. Right? So imagine someone taking $17,000 worth of Escada or Brute or whatever cologne or perfume that you like, $17,000 worth. And dumping it on Pastor Stephen's head. Right? He's up here, like, you know, preaching, or he's just like worshiping the Lord, and someone comes in and breaks a bottle of, of perfume. Well, let's do cologne. And they dump it on his head. Now, visualize this. It says that she pours it on his head. She had other options. She could have used her two fingers and, you know, done like this, gotten under his beard, if he had a beard, right? Um, she could have used one of those little bulb things and like, and like just pulled that and be like, right on Jesus. But she didn't do that. She actually poured the perfume on his head. Now, wouldn't you agree without Jesus comments and without Jesus taking her uh, defense, wouldn't you agree that that's a bit foolish? I mean, $17,000, right? You know, just like that. Can't use it again. Now Jesus smells great but you can't smell great, you know? $17,000. And the response that Jesus gives as these people are scolding her is, leave her alone because what she has done for me is a beautiful thing. It's a good deed. Um, You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. And then he basically says she has anointed him for his burial because we know that Jesus is about to die on the cross. Um, I don't think that the lady actually knew he was about to die on the cross. I think it was just one of those timely things that she did. Sometimes we end up doing something timely and we just don't know it. We're unaware. Um, Likely, the reason she did this is because she had been forgiven of something or she had come to know Jesus and love him. And this was an extravagant, wasteful offering that she gave to him because she was deeply in love with Jesus. You know how the Bible says, he who has been forgiven little forgives little, but he who has been forgiven much, Uh, Or loves much, right? So she has likely been forgiven a whole $17,000 worth of forgiveness, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then he says, what she's done will be told throughout the whole world. Now let's look at this story for the sake of time, and let's apply it to our lives. I think the reason this (coughs) story stuck out to me um, is because I was beginning to think to myself, uh, like, how do you apply a story like this? Is Jesus telling me when I land at the Atlanta airport to walk through the duty-free section and buy the most expensive bottle of perfume I can find and just find somebody and dump it on them? Is that the moral of the story? That we're supposed to buy something expensive and waste it on people? Um, Not in that exact way. Um, But there's just four points I want to just pull out of this story. Um, The first point is, and the first question to ask yourself and we want to ask each other is, who is Jesus and what has he done for you? Right? Who is Jesus and what He's done for you? Has He been your uh, forgiver? Has He forgiven you of some gross sin, or just all of us have sinned, right? Um, everyone sinned. But has Who is Jesus? Um, has He been your healer? Have you had maybe leprosy or some other illness, and the Lord has has physically healed you? Has the Lord been the one to um, be that friend that sticks closer than a brother, because maybe you've been very lonely? Has He been that for you? Um, has Jesus been a provider? Where you didn't have all the stuff you needed and miraculously or through uh, the provision through work, the Lord has, has provided for you. So who is Jesus and what has he done for you? The second question is, um, is, is linked to that. And that is, in light of who Jesus is, what does it look like to give him a wasteful offering? Right? If Jesus was really all that, if he was really that forgiving and provided that much and came through when you were lonely, then what does it look like in light of his generosity, in light of his character, in light of who he's revealed himself to be? What does it look like for you to give a quote-unquote wasteful offering to him? We're not talking about a 10% tithe. Okay, because I think sometimes as as um, as spiritual leaders, we overemphasize tithing, I think, to the detriment of of believers because we communicate unintentionally. Hey, 10 percent is all God wants. The other 90 percent go to go to Six Flags, go to King's Mountain, go to whatever place. Just spend it all. Waste it on yourself. And God doesn't care. But the Bible teaches that 100 percent of what we own belongs to God. Not 10, 100% of what we have, our clothing, our relationships, our homes, everything we have belongs to God. So what does it look like in your context, in your life, to give God a wasteful offering? Wasteful. Okay? Not safe. Not contingency plan. Well, you know, now, I'm not asking you to, like, give everything away. I mean, yeah, because then I'll, that'll get me in trouble. I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm standing here. If you're giving it to the church, that's okay. Okay? If you're giving it to Pete, Mike. It's okay. <clears throat> the, the, uh, <clears throat> the third question is um, Who or what are the indignant voices that will likely rise up in anger against you? Who or what are the indignant voices that will rise up against you? Because they will. Somebody will call you crazy. Someone will say, Do you have any sense? Do you not realize that you have a master's degree in accounting and you want to be a homeschool mother? To invest into your children, what? What a waste! We stay with a family that—that's their true story. Um, you know, you—you you make how much money? I know a couple, or I know of a couple. The husband makes six figures, and the wife makes sixty thousand, and they've chosen to give away the six-figure salary and live off of the sixty thousand. What a waste! Why would you do that? Or you have a you have a a, a, a couple here who I don't know what your degrees were in. I don't know. I mean, you could probably be doing other things. Why wouldn't you like go and make money? Why wouldn't you like build up your Roth uh, IRA? Why wouldn't you like make a name for yourself? Pastor a church? What a waste. And so there will be indignant voices that criticize and and will speak very strongly to us. And if we're not grounded, those voices will get under our skin and might even cause us not to give that wasteful offering. Right? And the final question is, What is Jesus about to do? What is Jesus about to do? Um, We don't know if this lady knew, again, what he was about to do in terms of going to the cross. But what is Jesus about to do in the world today, 2017? Is he at work in a particular part of the world? Is he um, doing something that our wasteful offering could actually help to facilitate or to communicate that we're on board with him and that we're at one with him? What, what, what is Jesus up to in the world? <clears throat> Let me give you um, uh, my story um, as it relates to this particular story and why this story spoke to me. Um, in high school, I was the kid who, by God's grace, not because I'm amazing, I thrived. Both of my parents were together. I didn't miss a meal, never been abused, none of that stuff. That's the hand that I was given. It doesn't make me more special, doesn't make me awesome. That's just what I had. And because of what I was given, I thrived. I thrived so much that eventually I said, my goal is to outdo everyone in the history of my high school, just for the fun of it, because I like to be busy. My wife always has to say, Richard, it's time to go to bed, right? (laughs) Richard, it's time to slow down. You need to take a break. But I want to do more stuff. Um, So in high school, I was like spelling bee champion, egg drop competition winner, (laughs) captain of the wrestling team, captain of the cross-country team, state championship football team. Uh, I ran track. Drama club, student council president, salutatorian, huh? homecoming king. king. I mean, I did not homecoming king, (laughs) class king. Yeah. So, um, yeah. (laughs) 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 Hey. (laughs) Uh, And I even got most likely to succeed. And, um, And so everyone expected me to become something in life. They wanted me to be like something that made them proud or people who sacrificed for me to make their sacrifice worth it. Um, I ended up getting a full scholarship to Morehouse College with uh, twenty five thousand dollars on top of that uh, from the Jackie Robinson Foundation. And I wanted to be an entomologist. I wanted to study bugs because <laughs> bugs are cool. aren't they? Aren't bugs cool? Tell the truth. Bugs are cool, aren't they? Like the really big, like beetles with the big like pinches like that. I had giant cicadas. I had a bug collection. Everybody wants to study bugs. I mean, so I um, <laughs> um but in that context, I became more and more passionate about Jesus, and I couldn't really focus on my studies because I just wanted to go to prayer meetings. I wanted to go to choir rehearsal, even though I couldn't sing. I wanted to do evangelism. I was very zealous. Um, I'll tell you this really funny story. I was so zealous that one time I wrote some flyers that said, and I put them on the back of the bathroom stall. It said, the strain and pain you're going through now is nothing compared to where you may end up if you don't know Jesus. So (laughs) I'm not recommending that. I'm not recommending that. So, huh? Yeah, you can do it in your church bathroom. And uh, I know, I, I was zealous. I had to deal with no wisdom. And uh, uh, so anyway, I've, I really, through a series of dreams and visions and conversations, I literally believed the Lord was calling me to drop my full scholarship and transfer to Old Roberts University. And when I told my parents and when I told the community, people were so upset with me. Why would God tell you to drop your scholarship to go somewhere else? And I yelled back because there's an argument with with my family because maybe he wants to see if I love him more than I love my scholarship. You know, and we just, you know, it it was a very tense time. Well, long story short, transferred to Oral Roberts, majored in New Testament studies, got involved in missions in 1998, and the rest is history in terms of my initial initial involvement to where I am now in missions. Um, And now... After having worked at this organization for 10 years, uh, TMS Global, which now, now it's called TMS Global, but it was called the Mission Society when she was there, it's Train, Mobilize, Serve. Um, I was making a decent salary. I was the only African American in the entire country that had my job title at any missionary sending agency. Um, that was Senior Director of Mobilization and Candidacy. Um, you know, being a part of the Lausanne movement, which is the largest network of evangelicals in the world. And again, by God's grace, not because I'm really smart or special, I was asked to be the global selection chair for the Lausanne Younger Leaders Gathering, which brought together a thousand of the most influential younger leaders in the entire world who were Christian under the age of 40. And so I got to be the global selection chair of the entire thing. I'm horrible with Excel spreadsheets, my administrative skills are not that good, and my desk is always junky. So God has a sense of humor. But my point is, in the context again of all of that, I sensed that the Lord was calling us to move overseas. And it wasn't a supernatural thing. It was more of a, okay, Lord, we've wanted to do this our whole lives. Where, where are you at work? Um, so I left the job. I quit July 31st because I'm still staying with the organization with a different context, you know, a different role. We sold our house that I've had for 14 years and we took that money and paid off our debt. We're debt free. <laughs> so, so we thank the Lord for that. And, uh, and so what we're planning to do uh, in, in the midst of some indignant voices, in the midst of um, people saying, what are you doing with your life? Um, why, would you, why would you take your four children that God has blessed you with? Why would you risk their, their safety? I, I'm like, well, I mean, risk their safety. Like, do you want me to move to New York? you want me to move to San Bernardino? you want me to move to... I mean, like, there's danger everywhere. Um, but what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to um, be a part of what God is doing there. What is Jesus up to? Jesus is continually uh, seeking the glory of the nations. He wants to be worshiped by every nation. And we know that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God tells Abram, through his family, all nations will be blessed. We know in Revelation chapter 7, 9, that it it will actually happen. But we do know that in order for that reality to happen in Revelation 7, 9, it's going to take more than just Westerners to get engaged in mission. So what we want to do is move to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Can you say that three times fast? Addis Ababa, Addis Ababa, Addis Ababa, Addis Ababa. Uh, And we want to help to mobilize Ethiopians to be faithful in their own locality as well as all around the world. We want to join an organization that's been doing this uh, for about 15 years now and has helped to plant over 7,000 churches. We're not coming to boss them, control them, dictate to them how to do things. We're not there to colonize them or to say, we're the Americans and we have the money, so you must do what we say. We're there to say, look, at the foot of the cross, we're equal, we're even. You guys are competent. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, just like I do. We just want to join with you and offer what we have to, facilit- you know, to facilitate what you're doing. We've already asked, do you want us there? They said, Yes then what's the appropriate role for us to play? We want you to do this. Um, And so our response to this particular text is, Lord, we're willing to waste um, the American dream. Um, We never had a white picket fence, but uh, that's not even cool these days, is it? What is like today's American dream? Like a really cool car. We have a minivan. It's awesome. And... uh, (laughs) So, um, so we, are, we are wasting our lives for the sake of the gospel because Jesus has proven himself to my wife and me to be a healer, to be a provider, to be a forgiver, especially for her. She needs a lot of forgiveness. Um, and um, and uh, <laughs> I got you back. And uh, so um, anyway, so the Lord's been faithful to us. And so we would just uh, ask you guys to, to be in prayer for us. Uh, but I, I want to ask you, what, what does it look like for you Not to be necessarily a full-time missionary overseas, because that's not everyone's specific calling to to physically go overseas, but we're all called, I'm sure as your pastor reminds you, is that we're all called to be involved in the work of mission, whether that's local, hopefully international as well, at the same time, we're doing both. And um, and so don't put us on a pedestal because um, we don't belong there. We're all called to do this together because it's the Lord's work. Um, but we ask you to pray for us especially and also pray for the African-American church. There's only one church. I'm, we're clear about that. But pray for the African-American believers uh, who are a part of the church because we make up less than 0.6% of all the full-time missionaries sent from America to serve overseas. So not, I don't, don't come rushing us for autographs, but there are less than 300 of us in the entire world. Um, and so please be in prayer for us. If you all as a church do short-term missions trips, be sure to reach out to African-American churches and invite them to go along with you and, uh, and continue to pray for us. So um, that's all I have for today, but we'll stay here um, after service if you guys have questions for us. We have prayer cards um, with the family and ways you can get involved. Um, but we were just at Calvary Christian Center this morning and, uh, and they're, uh, do you know Calvary? Yeah, you know Pastor Vince? Okay, good. So, uh, so be in prayer for them as well as they get involved in missions. So let me close in prayer and um, and I guess I'll hand it over. All right. Well, Father, I thank you so much for this unnamed woman who was foolish in her giving, foolish according to the world. Uh, you tell us so many times in the word that the foolishness of man um, is, is not is not viewed that way by you. Um, you take the foolish things that confound the wise. And uh, so help us to just look at this woman's example and, and make it personal. What does it look like for us to give a wasteful offering? where we're not holding things back, where we don't have a contingency plan, where we're not trying to um uh be safe. We know, Lord, that uh that whatever we give, there's no way in the world that we can outgive you. So challenge us, stretch us, help us to uh to move beyond what uh what many churches communicate that all we got to do is give 10% and come to church and God's going to be all right. And uh, and Lord, we trust that as a result of uh, of people responding that you will be glorified and your name will be uh, proclaimed even to the ends of the earth, what I also want to pray for the missionaries uh, that were mentioned that i 've seen on the walls, the folks in Cambodia, um, the folks in Albania, we thank you for their obedience, and we uh, thank you for senders for churches that are uh, selfless enough where they would um, come alongside those that sense that call to serve overseas, um, and for those who are here, we pray that they would not. Uh, Uh, Them not see themselves, that they would see themselves also as missionaries in their own local context. So give them the boldness and the courage to share their faith and to meet the practical needs that are around them. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.